Hi, I'm Jay, an arts manager, educator, writer, musician, and professional daydreamer. And I'm Miguel, a musician, arts administrator, educator, and lover of all things nerdy. And this is Play Black, a podcast dedicated to nerddom, reviews, and hot takes on arts and culture and the human experience from the perspective of two melanated artists. What's up, Jay? You know, you know, I feel like... um, We've seen each other like twice this week, uh, and it's so rare that we see each other multiple times. So, yeah, yeah. Um, What's new with you? What's gone down? What's new with you this week? You know, I'm just getting into the rhythm of this uh, post, well, still in the pandemic, post-pandemic life that we are living. Sure, sure. We're we're in person with a bunch of people. We are uh, interacting with a bunch of people in a way mm-hmm. that we haven't for like two years. And it's mm-hmm. kind of catching me off guard a little bit. I, I didn't know that um, I didn't like people as much as I thought I did. <laughs> it's been a deep affirmation for me that I don't like people. So yeah, it's been nice. For sure, it's been for nice. Sure. Uh, what's, what's going on with you this week? What's new? Um, let's see. This week, oh, I bought some games. So uh, there was a nice little Nintendo Switch sale, and I just like scooped some games up. I um, I bought Greece or Gris. I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. G R I S. Uh, beautiful, so beautiful. Um, from what I recall, I feel like I had researched like a while ago um so i think it's it's kind of like this metaphor for like depression and anxiety and like bringing light back into your life and that's how the game was designed um it's really pretty i don't usually play platformers um but i'm not mad at it i also bought uh the ori sequel uh the will of the wisps um also gorgeous another platformer so i'm really trying to expand my horizons um and then i bought the skyward sword um remastered version for the switch and then i forget the name of the last one i think it's like nino kuni and the witch something like that so yeah it's a lot of experimentation i feel like i'm not someone who experiments a lot uh in certain regards in my life um so yeah I'm excited to to hunker down and 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 play them and and uh, give them a give them a a run for their money, as it were. You know. Yo, I respect your uh, how you prioritize your time mm. because you know not all of us make time for play. Mm-hmm. You know, we we kind of sit with it in a way that is uh, a little unhealthy. You know, mm. we just kind of there's so much to do all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to make time for play, but you out here like making sure that you get your games in, that you figure it out, and I really appreciate that. I appreciate I, that about you. I appreciate that. I had a a fellow ED reach out to me this week, and we were talking, and she was like, "Jay, I really feel like you're one of the few people that I say works harder than me." And I was just like, "You know, it's because I play hard." It's like, sure, I do, but one thing about me, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna watch that show, I'm gonna play that game. Okay, because honestly, this is going to sound weird. I feel like it actually plays into my control issues. I don't like to feel like I'm being controlled. And if all my life was work, I think I would feel like I was being controlled by my work. And so those boundaries are kind of like my rebellion made manifest and also just happen 
to be, I think, help healthy practices. So, yeah. That's super real. And, you know, my life is music. Um, mm-hmm. Music is my job, but it's also mm-hmm. something that I very much enjoy. Yeah. Uh, and I feel that. I feel that I need to balance it out with music that I'm studying, not that I don't mm-hmm. love the music that I'm studying, mm-hmm. and music that uh, I'm just listening to for soothing purposes. Yeah. Um, but this week, it actually, those two things kind of combined, which I appreciate. Uh, nice. I am uh, learning some traditional Brazilian music uh, called Shoto music, or Shoto. Um, it's like Samba's grandpa. Wow. <laughs> uh, and it's really fascinating because I've always loved um, Brazilian music. I grew mm-hmm. up in a town um, in Massachusetts called Framingham, and mm-hmm. there is a massive brazilian population there i did not know that yeah it's it's a really cool part of the culture especially in the southern part where a lot more of the latino folks are Uh, i grew up next to a brazilian bakery love the food love the music um and i just happened to be studying with um a professor of brazilian descent who just loves uh kind of partaking in teaching that kind of piano music um and it's been fascinating to kind of engage in that so that's kind of the music that gave me some joy this past week and that's that i'm nice. also studying so i really appreciate that look at you expanding music. your horizons you got, that's, that's the only way to do it uh, mm-hmm. i try to listen to something new every day uh, just mm. to keep it going because if you wow. if you if you stagnate it's no good what, what what's some music that uh, gave you some joy this past week? um yeah so last weekend i was watching uh a friend recommended because i was gonna avoid it to be honest this this netflix movie called um afterlife of the party it has victoria justice for those folks those millennials who used to watch victorious and um it's about this girl who dies on her birthday and before she can like transcend to heaven, she has to make shit right. You know what I mean? Very much, you know, one of those ghost stories, but um, throughout the show, there's like this recurring gag um, about how much she loves this one musician. So like his songs are featured a lot. So turns out that it's a fake musician for the, the movie, but the, the actual artist who is pretending to be the fake musician is real. And so I went to look up like some of the songs that I had heard in the movie. Cause I'm like, this, this lucky slaps. And then I went to go like, listen to him. And I've never had an experience like this. So this person has music going, not very famous yet, but has music going back like to 2016, 2017. Miguel, every single song that came up in the shuffle, as I shuffled his music, cause I just hit shuffle all. I hit the like button. 27 songs from one artist. I was just like, what the actual fuck? So (laughs) that was cool. What was made cooler was on Friday, um, he just announced the tour and he's coming to Cambridge and I'm going to buy the ticket on Monday. And I'm like, well, this is cool. It's still early. So I don't know all his music yet because learning 27 songs at the same time is tough. Um, they've all blurred together in my mind a little bit. So that's, but that's what I'm going to do. It's, it's, it's a, it's a vibe. It's very like ephemeral, ephemeral. It's very poppy, but like he's a white man, but this he, homeboy be riffing. Okay. He got, he got, he got some skills. So Spencer Sutherland, check him out. Um, yeah, that's that's what I listen to. It's a whole whole vibe. 
I'm into all of that. That, mm-hmm. that I love when you do that deep dive. That initial mm-hmm. just like, oh my god, I love right. About you. And uh, there's an, actually an artist uh, that is very popular in our house right now that I'm going to talk about later okay. uh, because uh, it, it relates to uh, one of my recommendations. Um, mm. But I think it's time for our actual play black. Oof. Y'all, Oof. I'm struggling with his name. I'm struggling with it. But it I'm is honest. a tongue twister. It's weirdly <laughs> a tongue twister. The double L's. This week, uh, we are talking about Avatar, The Last Airbender, and The Legend of Korra. Woo! I, I have to think it's both one of our, like, touchstones of our childhood mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. as uh, middle-of-the-road millennials. Uh, yep. And it's it's been really um, amazing to see how in the last two years through the pandemic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, folks kind of rediscovered uh, when it came back onto Netflix and everyone was just kind of like sitting in their in their houses and taking in all of this wonderful storytelling. Um, and Jay, we actually, you and I saw each other last night because uh-huh. we got together to uh, do a celebration for one of our dear friends, Tanika. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is twice uh, you've mentioned her on the podcast. She's the most shouted out person so far. Well, she's just going to have to come on at some point. That's just I what's think so. Have to happen. Hundred uh, percent. Yeah, and uh, she's amazing. And mm-hmm. she, for her birthday, wanted to do a Avatar themed uh, one shot D and D campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've played some D and D here and there, uh, usually with a lot of guidance. Um, but Jay, this is your first time. It's my very first time. And I mean, you're a lot more gracious than I, because for me, uh, I'm a little bit of a hipster in that when we like something and we've, we've like avatar came out when we were in the eighth grade. Well, when I was in the eighth grade, I remember that. Like, I remember where I was. I remember when I first saw it, I remember seeing the like commercial being like, Oh, this shit's going to be lit. And yeah, consistent watching, um, of both Avatar and Korra when it came out. And like Korra ended, I think the year after I finished undergrad. And so it's just like, all of a sudden, for niggas to go out the world, we'd be like, oh my God, if you're not the show, I'm just like, shut up. Where were you for like the past decade? So those are my feelings on the late thing. Sure, you can be gracious and say it's nice that, you know, this found its audience, but some of us have been here since day one. Um Yes, this was my first experience with D&D. Um, it was interesting. I just, I had a moment, and I know this is a podcast celebrating nerdum, and I don't want to shame nerds. I did have to wrestle with, is this too nerdy for me? Mm. And it was so weird because I, I so much about it, I, I wouldn't think, right? I used to act, so I really love role-playing. Um, it's something you do with your friends, which is super fucking cool. And so there's so much about it, like in the bare bones way that I, I thought I would like, but for some reason, every time I would like watch people play it, I, I did not like it. And there are reasons uh, that we've discussed. And I think we'll talk more through of those reasons on the breakdown. Um, mm-hmm. The last night was a really great experience. Um, we, 
yeah, got together was like what 10, 11 of us, I think. And for most of the people there, it was their very first time. So uh, it was, I had a great time. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Uh, we, it was kind of a simplified game mm-hmm. that uh, there wasn't, you know, uh, we didn't have time to make our characters completely. Um, but our wonderful DM, uh, I'm blanking out his name, Jade. Do you remember his name? Scott. Scott. Scott uh-huh. was fantastic. And he, made all of our character sheets uh, at a pretty basic level. Mm-hmm. And um, all we had to do was figure out our uh, name, uh, yeah. some background story and our yeah. element. And mm-hmm. the rest kind of uh, sat in place there. But it was it was a lot of fun. I, I had a lot of fun. And I, I, I had never played a D&D game that wasn't based in the actual like Dungeons and Dragons universe. Sure. So it was really interesting for me to see uh, how scott adapted uh, mm-hmm. all of the different character types mm-hmm. um you know like a paladin or a rogue mm-hmm. and how he mapped it out to the actual yeah. universe so yeah i was uh i was very impressed and it was a lot of fun to i think i think part of why i loved it so much um was because it was set in a universe that we cared so much about and all of us knew well right even though most of us hadn't played D everyone there were Avatar fans. And I think getting all of that, like, you know, knowledge that was already in us and then being able to just use it in that space, I think that was very helpful. Now, now we did design characters. So tell me a little bit about your character. Who, who was they? You know, what backstory can you share? What kind of bender are they? And did you, I just want to know this, did you try to design someone as close to you as possible or like as different? to you as possible that's a really interesting question so my character uh his name uh is boten okay uh, and he is a waterbender from uh-huh. the northern tribe uh, a former uh student of master paku who we mm-hmm. know through, through uh that first season of avatar um he wants to expand his horizons and see what's out there uh in the world and work like on this war effort uh, if we're basing him in the time of the original Avatar series, mm-hmm. uh, but Master Paku doesn't think he's ready. Uh, so, you know, he do the protag thing and he gets the hell out of there and starts to see the world and ends up in Boston say with yeah. all of uh, our, the rest of our crew. So um, to answer your question on whether he's like me or not, everyone always thinks of me as an earthbender i think of me as an earthbender <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm a very grounded person i'm very mm-hmm. solid uh, there mm-hmm. are of course i understand that there are gray areas and many different aspects of life but um i try to define black and white as much as possible for myself just so i can function so i've always been told i'm an, I'm an earthbender um, but i have been feeling a lot more malleable as of late. I've been feeling mm. a lot more um, fluid, uh, or trying to become, at the very least, a lot more fluid mm. in my thinking and how mm-hmm. I approach things. So I decided to role play a character that's a waterbender and interesting uh, is a little rigid, but is trying to see beyond uh, their horizons. Jay, please mm. tell me about your wonderful character. Sure. Um, my character's name is Jawak. 
um mm. and also a waterbender also from the northern water tribe uh but was exiled from said tribe uh when he was 12 because he was given low-key serial killer vibes right he had this mm. habit of like um turning i was kind of inspired by daidara from naruto where he likes art right and he likes the pictures that we can make and that our bodies can make and so you have this bad habit of just like freezing the blood in people and turning them into kind of like these statues um yeah (laughs) just that just that um but in fairness to him instead of helping him, working through him, loving him through it, rehabilitating him. As a 12-year-old, they just cast him out. Um, So he bears a lot of resentment towards um, his community, and he ended up uh, an Omashu. That's where he grew up for a while, having to fend for himself and provide for himself. Um, And I think he struggled for a while with this craving, this yearning inside of him and what to do with it. so yeah, it's interesting though because both you and another character are also waterbenders from the Northern Tribe, and I'm just like, is there some backstory there? For all the same age, we should we should talk offline. So um, there's that. In terms of if it's similar, I too like murdering people and freezing them. No, um, <laughs> FBI, this leave me alone, please. Right, call Usher. Don't come for me. Don't come for me. Not call Usher. I can't. <laughs> These are my guys. No, um, I would say, yeah, he's very different than me. Um, but at the same time, I think that there are nuggets in him that exist in me. I can be a little bit of a loner sometimes. Um, uh, I can feel anger sometimes at like the world at large. Um, so I think he's a lot more angsty and a lot more. Right now, he strikes me as an anti-hero. I don't know where he would land. Um, I think there's a part of me that says, is he somebody that wants acceptance and wants redemption and wants to help the world? Or is he someone who truly would not mind if it burned? Um, Mm. And I don't have an answer to that yet. And so I feel like uh, we decided last night that this is a campaign that we're actually going to, you know, start for real, for real, not just one shot it. Um, and I feel like I'm just open to discovering those things in the moment uh, as they come up. So that's yeah. the fun in role play. Like, mm-hmm. like that's the fun in just having a character that you can slip into uh, and really explore. Uh, yeah. And you know, sometimes you find uh, some things about yourself along the way, mm-hmm. as all good art allows. Now. I don't want to be reductive. I don't like having the same fights that everyone has, but I feel like if we're talking about the Avatar and Korra fandom, we just have to to ask, you know, where do you land on on Team Avatar, Team Korra? Which show did you like more? Or which, you know, which uh, Avatar did you like more? Who would win in a fight? However you want to interpret this binary. I want to lock you in there. Uh, well, that's, I mean, I, I, I enjoy the adult themes in Korra. Mm. I enjoy how they expand upon the world. But, excuse me, I have to say, the storytelling and narrative style of the original series is just kind of unmatched. Like, it, you could... Very much tell that it was meant to just be 
three seasons of a continuous story. Mm-hmm. The the character arcs were clean. Mm-hmm. They were it was just constructed in a way that made complete sense. Um, and in on that like note, Cora struggles a bit. It it, mm-hmm. it wavers for me in, in in how it tells its story from time to time. So mm-hmm. on a storytelling level, uh, I find Avatar: The Last Airbender to be superior. That being said. Mm-hmm. As a set, as a continuous, continue, continual story, mm-hmm. um, going from Avatar to Korra, because that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a a, a beautiful universe. Uh, where where do you land on this? How do you how do you want to to attack this binary? A story across lifetimes. Um, yeah, I'm Team Korra. Um, and I feel like part of what you're talking about is Nickelodeon's fault, right? Because Nickelodeon just were was jerking them around right i said let's bring cora on for one season okay here you can have another season um okay here yes you can have these seasons but you can't air them on tv like i remember watching it like what the fuck is going on here and then also being offended because i'm just like this is like one of your most popular properties like why are you treating it like this and now ironically 10 years later not even they're just like oh here's a whole studio everyone loves <laughs> avatar and it's like well yeah yeah right so they, anyway, they always have that. they've always loved it so but i think i love cora for the darker themes for sure um for her iconic villains and truly like her struggles i thought were more nuanced and complex than Aang's. I think, you know, we got to explore Aang as kind of a, as a, as a messianic figure, right? He was the savior, but he was also a child. Um, and we got to learn and watch, you know, the bending happen and that's cool. But I feel like we had to watch Korra struggle as an avatar as a neutral political agent as for some still a religious figure um for others still like a a a military or police force like independent you know what i mean and so and it was like right yeah uh but also like a peacekeeper who keeps peace by like catching these hands and so it's just (laughs) i feel like to to see the role of that um, and then also figuring out herself in that whilst being compared to such a prolific avatar um, and then also be a teenager. I think that people give Korra a lot of shit uh, mm-hmm. and they don't realize like the amount of pressure that she had to face um, that was, I think, uniquely more difficult than Aang. And also just from a bending perspective, how much harder it was then the bending was so much more refined. It was so much more intense. It was so much. So I, I loved that. I thought that, you know, she had to make so many hard choices, um, but the spirit portals dealing with that manipulation coming through PTSD, like homegirl had it rough. Um, and, and I liked delving into what I thought was a little bit more realistic of a story about somebody who would be torn between those? Um, I think I prefer Team Avatar as a group, as opposed yeah. to Team Korra. Um, but yeah, I fuck with Korra heavy. I, I think it uh, when it comes to the teams, I think mm-hmm. it come it, it comes down to whether you like accept Bolin. I love Bolin uh, for sure. 
Sokka, but Bolin, Bolin is no Sokka. Bolin is supposed no to Sokka. be the, the Sokka of the group, right? You think? Oh, well, you mean in terms of like the comedic relief. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, and I think they kind of overplayed his character a bit. I completely agree with everything you're saying. Like, um, as far as uh, Korra, I mean, even the the industrial age, like, right. it just gets complicated. It just gets super, oh, so much more complicated mm-hmm. when you um, start to talk about vendors versus non-vendors even, right. right? Like, everyone was being oppressed by the Fire Nation, regardless right. of your vending status. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of a, a black and white situation in, in the original series. But then you get into Korra, and Amon wasn't wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Ben- vendors have a... Uh, uh, a societal like seat at the table while non vendors kind of don't. Yeah. That being said, of course, you, you start to get into the how, how, yeah, how, mm-hmm. how, to, how to address these issues, right? Um, which uh, obviously murdering people and taking away their vending against their will is, uh, you know, uh, just a little extreme. Maybe and like you that. said, with those villains, none of them were wrong. Every season, every villain wasn't wrong right aman wanted freedom from oppression um uh unalak wanted the freedom of having spirits not be like trapped and to share a world that used to be theirs so here wanted freedom from rule and whatever he wanted the freedom to be following anarchy kuvira wanted to unite people because she saw how fractured everything was and when you have to deal with all of that in a world that I think is trying to move past the Avatar. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. When Aang was there, it was just like, the Avatar! But I feel like his absence had that effect, right? Of just people having to now build a world without one. And now here comes Korra, and everyone's just like, no, we good, girl. We got our own rulers. We got our own <laughs> systems. We have our own cities. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an elected body. I'm not sure what you're here for, um, but we're all set. That's super real. I, I might push back on... Well, Amon turned out to be a fraud, right? Sure. Um, Amon turned out to be someone who was really just doing this, this for himself. For Same power. thing with Unalak, right? Unalak okay. just wanted power. He wanted to um, re, uh, uh, re uh, uh, like reset the Avatar cycle. Yeah, and rehash the world in his image, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Being a dark Avatar, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, what he was saying about basically religious freedom. That, I yes, absolutely. That yeah. is something that we that people should have a discussion about. Yeah. But he wasn't a good faith actor. Zahir legitimately believed in what he was doing, which yeah. was why I think he is one of the, if not the best villain in all of the Avatar universe. Like one hundred percent ahead of Fire Lord Orzai, mm-hmm. because he legitimately wanted a better world. Again, going about it in a way that's just completely unethical mm-hmm. uh, and, and taking away agency from others in, in the name of giving everyone agency in the first place. Right. Uh, but the, the thing that made Zaheer so interesting um, was the fact that he actually believed what he was doing, mm-hmm. uh, which is a contrast between uh, Uralak and Amon. And Kavira is along those lines as well, but was also corrupted. Uh, that's the, but see, and I think that's the point, though, right? I feel yeah. like was it that they never believed it, or was it that somewhere along the path of fighting for those beliefs, they were warped? You know what I mean? They got misguided because it came with power, and they kind of deviated from the original intent 
although that original intent was whatever it was. And so I don't think that they were, when I say they were right, I just mean that like the arguments that they said they were making are hard to argue with to some degree. Um, how they went about them was wrong, but, but yeah, I feel like, but even in that there goes complexity, more complexity than we ever got from Ozai, who was basically just like the, the evil maniac laughing and was super evil. You know what I mean? Um, Azula but, was a way better villain than uh, Azula Ozai. was a great villain. You know what I mean? That poor girl, but yeah. So um for sure, for sure. So, yeah. you know, while we're talking about this, like, yeah. what are your, like, top iconic moments from <sighs> the original series uh, or Legend of Korra? Like, like, give me, like, the things that gave, that gave you chills. Yeah. Um, when Katara stopped the rain. Um, when the episode where she went to go kill her her mother's killer or her suspected mom's killer mm-hmm. when homegirl stopped that rain, I was like, what? Um... All my moments are guitar moments. Um, and then when she froze Azula in that little, you know, like pedal thing, I don't even know what to call it. Um, but when Azula was coming for her in that last fight and she was just like, nope, freeze. And then she just like let herself move in the ice. I was like, girl, <laughs> girl. Um, I would say for Korra, airbender on airbender fight. Zaheer versus um, Tenzin. Tenzin. And then when Tenzin was getting fucked up by all three of them, I was just like, ah! At my heart. And I did not know if Tenzin was going to make it out alive. But watching no. Tenzin put in that work, okay? Because mm-hmm. I can't lie, I was very disappointed in Kaya and Boomy in that episode. I'm like, Boomy, I know you're not a bender, okay? But you are a whole-ass commander in some army. I would suspect that you could throw hands better than this. And I was like, Kaya, I fuck with your mama harder than I fuck with everybody, okay? And the fact that you can't hold your own, I don't like that. Your mother is the greatest waterbender literally ever. I need you to do better. But Tenzin put in that work. Um, when Zaheer murdered uh, Earth Queen, Ooh. I was like, oh, brutal. <laughs> and um, when um, Lin and Sue blew up Sparky Sparky Boom Chick's head, I was like, what are we watching? Um, so, yeah, those are some of my. Like the, I, I, I gasped moments. Those were some moments, man. Also, I remember it was very poignant the episode where um, Lynn lost her bending when Amon came on the island and we watched her protect those kids. Oh, yeah. And I just remember the moment. Like I remember there had been the music and there was the rain and then the way that they shot it and how it kind of went still and silent for that moment as she lost it. I just thought it was beautifully cinematic um so those are some of my favorites what about you mm. uh I'll, I'll stay on cora uh, to start because it's like mm-hmm. fresh in my brain mm-hmm. um the moment right after where sparky sparky boom chick uh, gets killed mm. uh, zaheer has lost his borderly tether uh, <laughs> like, and, and you know like it's 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 in your face a little bit, like the analogy is in your face a little bit, but mm-hmm. like it was really well executed. Yeah. Um, and when he finally becomes wind and just starts flying, um, he had hinted a- on it with all that Guru Lahima stuff and all. Mm-hmm. So like, 
when it actually happened, I was like, here's a bad dude. Like, God, and that, that also answered a very long question that I had had of just like, you see all these extensions from the other elements, right? You have mm-hmm. the lightning bending and the healing or the blood bending and the lava bending and the metal bending. And I had always asked like, what's air? What is airs? And then homeboy was just like, I'll show you. Great moment. Great moment. <laughs> great moment. I love that. Um, Legend of Korra moment. Um, Actually, I did a rewatch like everyone else did uh, during uh, the this panini that we're in, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was my partner Kelsey's first time uh, watching all of. Korra. What he was a big Avatar: The Last Airbender fan, but hadn't really mm. heard great things about Korra because it didn't really great, get great reviews um, mm. at the time. Um, Trash. I know uh, it's that's they were all wrong. <laughs> wrong. But, uh, what I will say is this. I remember watching the first two or three episodes and I was like, oh, this isn't the best. It doesn't land all that much. Mm. Um, it's kind of slow. And if you're a very uh, critical person of the art that you're consuming, which my partner is, and I love them for mm. that, like, mm-hmm. it, it, it keeps me in check on things that I have blind spots on because mm. uh, they're constantly critical about what they're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it's episode four when uh, Amon and his crew uh, just storm the bending arena. Yeah. Uh, and it's that crazy fight between um, Korra, Lin, yeah. and Amon, and, and the goons. Mm-hmm. That was the moment where Kelsey was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is amazing. Where was this for the last three episodes? And I was like, right, this is the moment where it felt like uh, not an improvement, but a continuation of that uh, Avatar spirit. So mm. th- those are probably some of my favorite moments in Legend of Korra. Um, as far as Avatar The Last Airbender, um, <laughs> a comedic moment that will always mess me up is... Uh, what was it? Uh, Foo Foo Cuddly Poops. Uh, that uh, Moose Lion Cub. Oh, so cute. With so Sokka. cute. Love that. Just love lo- love that it, the series just takes on so many really huge, big um, ideas. Something that, mm-hmm. as y'all know, I love. Mm-hmm. And then can re- reduce down to like a comedic bit with yeah. Sokka that feels completely in character. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Um, and then, uh, of course... I'm gonna say it. Uh, leaves from the vine, Uncle Iroh. Leaves on the vine. Ugh. Tear up every time. Tear up every. Took time. us all out. <laughs> oh, Brave no. little soldier boy, come <laughs> marching home. I was like, why are they fucking us up like this? Like that whole that whole uh, episode of just small mm. stories. Tales of Bossing Say. Yep. It's just. Uh, an amazing little vignette. Um, mm-hmm. Poor yeah. Appa. I remember Appa's poor journey in that episode. It's like, Appa. The trauma. The trauma. And the fact that Appa is, is just like Aang, like, like a continuation of that same mm-hmm. uh, animal spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that animal spirit has seen so much trauma. Yeah. <laughs> like, so much trauma. Who 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 got therapy for Appa? Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I'm saying. But a homie mm. just you know stay being loyal. So mm-hmm. shout out to Appa, big homie. Yeah. Appa, real one. Those are your moments. Those are my moments. Those, okay. I, I, as of right now, uh, I, I think more will come up as as we come along. 
Sure. Uh, but yes. So another bit of controversy as it relates to Avatar, is it an anime? There's some who feel like it is. There's some who call it American anime. Some say it's not anime. It's just a really good cartoon. For you, is it an anime? Okay. Well, first we have to define what anime is. And that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. is always in question. You know, there are like otaku type folks um, on the internet who are like, anime is specifically uh, uh, animation that is made in Japan. And like, right. that's not true anymore. There's mm-hmm. uh, anime that's produced in Korea. There's anime China. That's in China. Yeah. Um, and it's just so, and it's still considered anime. It's still up on Crunchyroll. It's still like, it feels, mm-hmm. it, uh, it walks, talks like an anime, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so I think if you, if you're sticking to that definition, which I don't, um, mm-hmm. Avatar is not an anime. The definition that I like to um, use for anime is um, anything that takes the aesthetic that we've been seeing for the last 30 years. Um, Again, big themes, the animation style, um, uh, taking in uh, spiritual aspects of uh, Asian cultures um, and incorporating them into their themes. I, I absolutely think that Avatar can be considered and anime from an American mm-hmm. perspective. What do you think? I don't think it is. And the reason I don't think it is is because I can't think of a substantial difference between, let's say, like Teen Titans or better yet, Young Justice. I'll, I'll, I'll be more serious than like Young Justice and Korra, for example. I think art styles differ, but I feel like art styles differ between all cartoons. And, you know, in terms of like, themes um from the east there's some animes that don't deal with that um Mm. so i think i i then also for me i don't really know what an anime is that i'm just like is it just cartoons but from the east Mm. um and so i think yeah like do they differentiate between like a cartoon and an anime over there i don't know that they do i don't know that they don't if i'm being honest but i don't know that they do and so i think for me it's it doesn't need to be i think it it proves that you know we can um we can have dope shit too and have that be added to the canon and it doesn't need to be an anime so that's I don't feel very strongly. Like I'm not gonna get mad if someone does call it an anime, but I, don't, I, I personally, I don't, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Yeah. If y'all wanna like look at uh, someone else's views on this that I really respect, there is a YouTuber whose name is uh, Jeff Thu. I want to say uh, he has a channel called Mother's Basement. I think he, I believe he has a, a whole video on whether uh, a whole video essay on whether. A whole video Avatar. essay. Yeah, uh, on whether Avatar is uh, an anime, and I uh, really like his nuanced view of, huh. of, of what's going on there. It, it might have informed some of what I just said, actually, because I haven't seen that video in a while. So shout out to Jeff Lee. because yeah. it had this renaissance mm-hmm. um over the the the, the great panda yeah. and uh <laughs> it turns out that 
Netflix is coming out with a live action adaption. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's starting to be cast and it's happening, even yeah. though the original creators aren't on the project anymore. They dipped. However, they're not they're not bums sitting at home. Mm-hmm. They uh, were then given, as we alluded to earlier in this conversation, an entire studio. Netflix basically was just like, listen, hey y'all, um, listen. So what had happened was look, mm-hmm. like um, y'all did great numbers while y'all was here, and like that was good. And yes, it did not end in the best way. Um, we let that shit movie get made, and you know, we kept relegating Cora to to the internets and a weird schedule but listen listen linda um y'all been doing some real good numbers on netflix like kudos to you um (laughs) so people on netflix is watching y'all it's like top 10 consistently like that's crazy so why don't look um come come home come come home i see that y'all left netflix which is interesting because it was doing so good, but y'all left. So um, come, come home, and what we'll give you is everything. What we'll give you is anything. So what you want, baby, I got it. Uh, what you need, you know I got it. Um, and so, yeah, they have this deal for their own studio uh, that includes books, podcasts, movies, uh, like theatrical releases and home releases, animated, live action, all that shit. Um, And they just basically get to take the sandbox they've created and make whatever the fuck they want. Um, Which, amazing. Amazing. Overwhelming, amazing. We're years away, they said, from some stuff. They're just like, y'all, we're taking our time. We're going to build and make it make sense. So let's say they bring you in, Miguel. Let's say you get a meeting with Mike and Brian. They're like, look, we want to offer you a property. We've heard you on this Play Black podcast. Clearly, you're creative. Clearly, you got ideas. Clearly, you can manifest them. What is the thing that you would pitch if you could give us whatever project you want to set in the Avatar universe? What would it be? Also, I want to say legally, y'all, if any of these ideas get produced later, you have heard them here first. This is dated. Run us our money. You're at the Netflix studio. Let's say it's in Burbank. I don't know if that's true, but you're there. Not Netflix. Nickelodeon studio there. Mm -hmm. What are you proposing? What's the project? Uh, I want to see how the Dai Li came to be. Ooh, so you want like a spy thriller thing? Yeah, I mean, the way that they earth bend is so unique, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they're they're not metal benders. They're, they're not doing anything new. They're mm-hmm. just silly skilled, right? Mm-hmm. And that one kind of bending with these crazy ass rock hands. It's they're insane. scalpels. It's like a scalpel. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Um, and it, I forget uh, that. Uh, character's name, uh, the 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 leader of the daily, the guy that was the. We should remember because we've named this episode after that infamous line of dialogue between him and Azula, but I don't remember. Hold on, looking it up. I'm just researching everything today. Yeah, but his because he had like a rags to riches story, right? He mm-hmm. was like he was not um, uh, a, a high a high per- a person in the Earth Kingdom court, right? Mm-hmm. That he. Mm-hmm got all the way up to being the person who's basically in command and made this basically CIA FBI force 
Um, I would love to see uh, a, a narrative on who, uh, how someone comes from rags to riches that way and gets basically like a heartbeat away from uh, the equivalent of our presidency. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think that'd be super cool um, because the, the Earth Kingdom is a really interesting place. It's the most fleshed out place outside of, I think, outside of the like Northern Martyr tribe who spend so much time there yeah. Um, and in different places, be it Omashu, be it Fasingsei, um, like all of uh, the Kyoshi Islands are technically part of the Earth Kingdom. Mm -hmm. like, it's it's such a massive part of the universe um, mm -hmm. that I'd love to see more of that kind of underground, uh, like intelligence agency that the Dai was. I love it. Yeah. How about you? You get the pitch meeting. They're like, hit us, hit us, yeah. hit us with anything. What yeah, are, yeah. What, what you doing? Um, also, the guy's name is Long Fang, by Long the way. Fang. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I've had this idea for a while. It's not a fully fleshed out one, but first off, also, love your idea. I, I love spy shit. Um, I would love moving in the opposite direction for me. If you're going backwards through history, I'm going forward. I want to set it in this futuristic sci-fi cyberpunk um universe right mm -hmm. um where the avatar truly is obsolete right and even bending is obsolete um and so i'm just thinking about the shadowy figure standing in the rain surrounded by these neon signs and a world that doesn't need them anymore um mm -hmm. and what that looks like Right, because it's like as technology advances, and we saw this in Korra, um, that loving that playing field got leveled more and more and more and more. And so, yeah, what happens when like we're in a post-bending society? But that wasn't stopped the reincarnation cycle, right? And so again, you have all of these autonomous governments and bodies and all that stuff. But maybe there's still, you know, injustice happening. And here it's like mm. the avatar is now this vigilante in a lot of ways. That's like saving people and still fighting for the oppressed, but much darker, much, much more cast out from society. So yeah, it's like this gritty, darker, futuristic story um, I that I think that. would be fascinating. I think it'd be fascinating. Yeah, I can tell that Cora is your favorite story. I'm just saying, it's just, yeah. it raised so many good questions. Yeah, no, post-bending society is an interesting concept, right? Because like, technology was such a big part of Korra, right? Mm -hmm. just the all those inventions, um, uh, Barak, uh, Zuli, uh, <laughs> do the thing. Do the thing! Uh, <laughs> um, that I, I, I can't necessarily imagine what like media looks like yeah. outside the newspaper, right? right. Outside, outside of radio um, and how well, that, um, that, that propaganda affects or could affect yeah. uh, how people's view of uh, what was basically a, real, a religious figure in the avatar, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, what their role in society was. Yeah. That's really interesting. Wow. I, I mean, that. they had movers at the end of it, but yeah, I think. And then what do people who 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 have manipulated, as you say, the world to, to move past the avatar, what do they get to do now? What freedoms do they have to... Because power, power will always corrupt. Power always corrupts. So, ultimate. Uh, what, what, what was the quote? Um, complete power corrupts completely. 
Ooh. <laughs> That's a word. That's a word. With Miguel and G. Come on, don't you go. Come on, come on, come on. Don't you go. Don't you go. Don't you go. Nowhere. Don't stay because we're coming back. Okay. 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 But I think Jay, it's time for some fun and games. Well, I play a game. Okay. What are we playing? We playing a game, son. All right. So throughout the Avatar uh, and Korra universe, um, there are all of these ships. There are all of these relationships sure. um, that were so mature for yeah. a children's TV show. Mm-hmm. There was so much going on. And of course, we can't not talk about uh, the LGBT twists at the end of Korra. Um, Never saw it coming. And it's crazy. As a bisexual man, I feel like how it took me completely. And I think part of why it took me by surprise is because I did not think that a TV show for children would ever go there. This is before like Steven Universe and before like, you know, all these other shows were proliferated. And I already felt like they were taking it off the air because maybe of that Earth Queen murder, right? That's some of (laughs) what we thought. And so I, I did not even enter into my mind that that would be a possibility, but loved it. Yeah, it was it was kind of it was groundbreaking, and I know that like uh, some folks are like they just held hands and walked into a stream of light. Mm-hmm. But y'all, like for young LGBTQ folks, I know for a fact that was a yeah. big moment just to yeah. be represented in that way. Yeah. Um, and Cora and Asami held hands. Yeah. So that Shiva. Yeah, and, uh, Katra, Katra can make out can make like, the fuck out. Yeah, man. Eight years mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. that's just like an acceptable thing that's happening on yeah. the most watched platforms. In and we world. knew what that handholding meant. Okay, everyone knew that was not no platonic. Hey, girl, let's go take a walk. Kind of handhold. It was very clear what that handholder was. First off, it was it was the moments leading up to that for me when she was asking her to go with her. I was like, I remember my reaction was like, is, what? It's it's. Oh. It's court. What? It's court. Court gay? What's happening here? What's what's going on? Is this a gay shit? And I was like, no, this can't be. And it was. And I was like, I'm here for it. So yes, yes, yes. That was great. Hundred percent. So in that uh, uh, spirit, mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna give you two couples. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. Two ships. Um, one that's canon. Okay. Uh, and something that happened in the series, even if it mm-hmm. didn't work out, it's still mm-hmm. something that happened in the series, mm-hmm. and something uh, a couple that is just like fan based folks were just like, I think that'd be cute, sure. Um, and all shapes and sizes, relationships, uh, LGBTQ plus, like whatever mm-hmm. you're looking for, mm-hmm. you got some interesting ones here. So, okay, I, I'm put 10 seconds on the clock, you have to oh my god, 10 seconds, and then uh, you can kind of explain. Uh, why you like that ship better? Put okay. me on spot, Jay. Put me okay. on spot. Be ready. Be ready. Okay. So the first ship is Korra and Mako, mm-hmm. season one of Legend of Korra, versus mm-hmm. Sokka and Zuko. You got ten seconds. Oh. <sighs> 
Three seconds. Uh, I'm going to say Saka and Zuko, which is really weird for me. <laughs> um, ugh, God, this is a tough one. Because I feel like Cora and Mako didn't work, right? They tried that. I think that he, it was hard for him to honestly let a woman be strong um, and to play support for that. And so I don't think they ever could last um, in that way. Sokka and Zuka, I was hesitant at first because they're so different, right? Like Sokka can be a little wild and kooky and Zuko is like so serious so serious all the time but then i was just like well, maybe they balance each other out you know what i mean like so yeah i feel like even if they didn't stay together that's a relationship that they would they would have learned from their time together so i i, I agree i think there are so many fanfic comics of after the that's rough buddy moment i know making out on, that's on, so funny i don't think i've seen those <laughs> i think this is the first i've heard of that ship i there are the internet's a beautifully weird place amen <laughs> okay next one up uh let's see here let's see here let's see here we have lynn and tenzin another couple that didn't end up together originally but yeah. canon they were together they were uh, together they were together before tenzin uh you know dipped out yeah and just popped them babies out one by one. Rebuilding so, the nation. Mm-hmm. Just looking for an Amber. All right. Uh, versus Aang and Toph. That's so funny because basically they're the same. Um, exactly. 10 <laughs> seconds. I'm going to go Lin and Tenzin on this one. I think. Um, that was quick. <laughs> yeah. I just. I don't see Aang and Toph together. I don't see it. I think. Uh, yeah, I think Aang in some ways needs stability after all that he's lost. Mm-hmm. Um, Toph would not at all be trying to pop out rebuilding a nation, babies. Um, that's she, no, and yeah, I think that she's too she's too independent, right? Like, I, and we saw that play out with her own daughters, sadly. Um, yeah. That so yeah, I don't think that works. So I I go with Lynn and Tenzin because it's tough as it as it is. Um, they have deep love for each other, and uh, absolutely, I think Lynn is a bit more stable uh, than Toph was. So, yeah, no, I agree with that with one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And Toph just never. I just don't think Toph ever would consider Aang to be anything past platonic. Right, Aang is just so polar opposite in that way. But on the internet, folks, folks. Some folks like this Aang and Toph stuff. I don't know. It's a- I mean, listen, we don't know who their daddies is, right? So it could very well be that mm-hmm. Aang accidentally stepped out um, oh, no. on Qatar one time. <laughs> they were they were a little wasted on some cactus juice, right? And Ooh, so it gets you. And it makes some decision. And that's why maybe she kept it on the low because she didn't want to blow up Aang's stuff. You know what I mean? Although mm. awkwardly, would that mean if it was Linda, she had been dating her cousin? A brother, I mean, what is gross. Oh, right, <laughs> so who knows? Who knows? Okay, this next one is uh, complicated. Okay. Okay. So Zuko and Jin. Do you remember who Jin uh, was? Jin, Jin, This is Jin, canon. Jin. Uh, there was that uh, episode where Zuko went on a date. 
Oh, with the Earthbender girl? She wasn't an Earthbender. She was a Oh, but she was in the Earth Kingdom and she found out that he was a firebender. Yes. Uh Well, she she, she didn't uh, because uh, he uh, he had her close her eyes while he put up all the candles. Oh, lit all the candles. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, So this is the first date crew, okay? Sure. Zuko and Jin Uh um, versus Korra and Bo Lin. They went on one date, but Korra didn't really know it was a date. So not canon, in my in, in, in my opinion. I have a very Zuko. easy answer for this. All right, 10 seconds, go. Cora Mullen. Ooh, okay. I do not know why. I guess it's just the platonic thing, but they make so much sense to me as a couple. I think that Cora has a fun-loving spirit. Um, she's very physical, but she also can like become very cerebral and be hard on herself. And I think that Bowen was the perfect person to let her take the pressure off herself and they would just have fun they'd be one of those couples that would just have fun throughout their lives like that's when for me that's the equivalent of marrying your best friend and i feel like that would be such a great relationship for them to have 100 percent. that's real i you know i might go uh zuko and jen on this one okay and, why uh, because there was so much like chemistry and like fun in that one episode she was just mm-hmm. really cute really forward i feel like she breaks zuko out of his shell a little bit mm-hmm. and he and she kind of did she mm-hmm. teased him he was like kind of into it um if, i think if he didn't have all of that emotional baggage that he mm-hmm. was like running through and mm-hmm. my back home i i could totally see him settling down uh in boston say and living a very simple life uh, home girl Jin. and cora and bolin I just from I, I hear exactly what you're saying. I, I mm-hmm. they complement each other really well. Uh, I don't think that Bolin could really show up in a serious way when mm. Cora is dealing with some of the like darker, harder stuff. things. Yeah, that okay, that's fair. The Avatar, mm. but respectfully disagree. That's, that's also here. just for the record, Bolin could get it. Okay, I know that people always love to talk about Mako, but Bolin okay. could get it. What's his name? Tonrock. Uh, mm-hmm. when, he's, when, mm-hmm. he's, when he's wearing the uh, yeah, the, the, the onesie and said stocky, vest, you know shirt. what? Bolin is giving very much himbo vibes, and <laughs> if that had been around back when you know that was a thing, I feel like he'd, he'd be a lot more celebrated, but yeah, that's real, that's super real. No, nah, but Bolin's a handsome man, you can only be in the movers if you're a handsome man, that's true, it's true. Time for Love on Top. What are we're leaving the the Cora Avatar conversation behind? If you need to, or, or you could bring them back in this one. But what are your top three all time villains? Mm, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna edit this okay a little bit um, okay because I have a theme to to my top three. Sure, sure. Um, I love villains that you can empathize with. Uh, okay that you understand why they're doing what they're doing mm-hmm. uh, and their argument is not wrong mm-hmm. we talked about this earlier but it's, it's just how they're going about it is just like really messed up and taking mm-hmm. people's agency away from making mm-hmm. their own decisions mm-hmm. their their criticism of the world is correct but how they're going about trying to fix that problem 
is yeah. unethical. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all might not might not know this, but I'm a massive GU Hakusho fan. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first uh, animes that I had on DVD all, uh, I think, four or five seasons. Um, watched it, like, religiously all the time. It's like a late 80s, early 90s anime, uh, mm-hmm. manga. Uh, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, and mm-hmm. the last villain uh, for, um, well, I guess not the last villain, but I, I think the last arc that was the best f- to me um, in the sh- uh, series is the Shinobu Sensui arc which is basically um, Yusuke, who's the main protagonist, is a, a spirit detective, and he's going up against his predecessor. Mm. Um, and his predecessor left uh, being the spirit detective after he saw the atrocities of, of, of man and how mm. cruel they were yeah. to each other and to demons, even if the demons weren't, even, weren't doing something yeah. uh, that was evil. We're um, fucked up. So exactly, his criticism mm-hmm. is correct. Mm-hmm. Humans can be cruel, mm-hmm. uh, and then he was, you know, going to try to open a portal to the demon world, and uh, you know, just basically destroy all of humanity. Can't do that. Fun, fun, <laughs> Not yep. cool. But so I love Shinobi Sensory as 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 a as a foil for Yusuke and mm-hmm. who he is. Um, Magneto. Oh yeah, classic. X-Men. I mean, Holocaust survivor ostracized the uh for, for for more than just being uh, a mutant uh mm-hmm. for, for his heritage um and has a deep understanding of what it is to be other mm-hmm. uh and is a supremacist which is a problem um the way he sees the, the way he sees the world as you know doggy dog you have to like take this moment if you're going to make sure that you and your people are good yeah. um it's not incorrect. Again, yeah. you can you 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 can diplomatically uh, champion your community in yeah. a way that isn't violent, but he needs to see his people on top because he thinks they won't be safe if they aren't. Mm-hmm. So love me some Magneto. Always an interesting character. Uh, and then last, I have Eric Killmonger. I mean. He was he was not wrong. <laughs> he was not he wrong. wasn't wrong. He was just violent uh, and unethical in how he was trying to fix the problem, and um, also did not need to burn Wakanda to the ground to prove a point. No, you know what I mean? I mean the, but the, that the, then you start to get into corruption, right? And he was also, I think, unleashing his childhood trauma. He had not. He was not over his father's death, and he wanted to like give them some payback. I think too. Hurt people, hurt people. Yep, that's, exactly. That's, that's how it works. All right. Yeah. All right. What, what are your top three? Uh, also, if you're not cut up with what if, what if there's a really good Killmonger episode that it like even chilling, chilling, uh, chilling. Um, my top three villains, uh, you know, I like to cheat. So I'm going to do both Zaheer and Amon. And here's why. Zaheer, as we talked about, I, I prefer you were talking about the kind of villains you like and you were talking about empathetic villains. I also enjoy them, but the kind of villains that like I prefer are effective villains. I feel like so often you have these villains that, you know, lose for sake of the story. And I'm just like, no, I need them to be good at what they do because that's where tension comes from. And that's where there's this greater story. Um, so Zaheer and Amon. Amon terrified the shit out of me. Okay. Yeah. That was a terrifying man all up in his mask. And again, 
very, very effective. This man did not lose fights. Okay. He would come. I remember the scene where um, uh, Varric tried to um, uh, bloodbend him. And Homeboy was just like, no. I was like, oh, what is happening? So, yes, uh, Amon was terrifying and very effective and a little not wrong. Um, Zaheer, as we said earlier, just again, um, it was kind of annoying how quickly he mastered things. Um, Although he had made a lifetime of studying them, like that was the balance there. But again, very effective. Um, like Cora had to deal with the effects of that for two seasons, right? Like she, that took a long time for her to get over. Um, so yes, those two, um, did you ever watch rising of the shield hero? Did you watch that? I have not, but I, 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 I want to give it a shot based off of what you say. It's, it's great. Uh, light spoilers ahead. Um, it's an isekai. So these, you know, four humans are summoned into this other world. Uh, and there's uh, each of the, they each have their own, I guess, weapon. And so there's like the, the sword hero, the shield hero, the archer hero, the lance hero. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the, this country hates the shield hero. They just hate the shield thing. Um, and uh, the very first episode, he is accused of rape Hello. by the royal family and uh, is very much scarlet lettered as, you know, a rapist should be, uh, except he's not actually a rapist. And so um, it was the, the royal family tricked him, um, just had it out for him. And throughout the season, there were just so many times where they just get in his way and lie and deceive and make his life hard. Uh, it was really, I wanted to throw something. Um, and so I was like, well, again, effective villain. I appreciate it. I hate you, but I hate you because you're effective. And then lastly, the white people in Lovecraft Country. Okay. I know that that is a show about monsters and demons, but I promise you, no one got me angrier. Uh, than the white people in that show. Um, I was just like, y'all, stop. Like, it was the first time I just felt so deeply in my body how annoying racism was. Like, I know how dangerous it is, and I know, like, how horrible it's been historically. Um, But I'm also just like, I was incredulous sometimes. I'm just like, just stop. Stop. Like you're pathetic. Stop. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the monsters for me. It was. It was the white people. Um, as it often is. Is right. <laughs> All right. So as we take it out, let's do one final recommendation. It can be anything. What are you telling folks to take a look at this week? I mean, it's probably one of the most popular series on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. I, I probably don't have to recommend it to you, mm-hmm. but um, Sex Education is phenomenal. Just- killing right now yeah. it's just amazing it's yeah. amazing um on so many levels so uh, many but I, I i'll just highlight one um seeing a, a straight character mm-hmm. have a gay best friend mm-hmm. who is uh so amazingly realized as a complete character yeah on their own yeah without any sort of deference to um the white male protagonist's counterpart mm-hmm. is amazing. Uh, and to see their friendship and how they support each other and how they've yes. grown as characters over three seasons mm-hmm. to support each other, mm-hmm. um, 
through thick and thin has just been a really wonderful light um, part of a very complicated series that's oh, yeah. taking on a lot of different themes. Yeah. Um, that I just really enjoy. And like, yeah, folks think, oh, people are just fucking and it's like eye candy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure, there's some of that, but it's really just trying to tell um, some really interesting nuanced, nuanced perspectives, mm-hmm. nuanced perspectives mm-hmm. on relationships, and especially relationships when you are young. We all yeah. remember those times. Yeah. Like it was, it's just complicated. You yeah. might think you love somebody. Yeah. You feel maybe, so deeply. Oh my God. It feels, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And it, it sounds like we're, we're, we're dinosaurs, as they're saying. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it just feels different when you're yeah. 15 and you're feeling these emotions for the first yeah. time. So highly recommend sex education. Um, I'm not finished with season three yet. I'm, I think I'm on episode three or four, but I'm loving every moment of it with my house. I did. It was great. It gets more emotional the last two episodes. Um, yeah. uh, I'm going to leave you with. Um, the Mike Flanagan Horror Stories series is this. Uh, so Mike Flanagan is the man behind the adaptations of The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor. And he just released his latest show, which is not an adaptation, but his own story called Midnight Mass. And these are horror stories. I don't like horror. I don't like horror. Uh, for me, I'm just like, one of two things will happen. You'll be bad and not scary and I'll be angry. Or you will be scary and I'll be scared. And I was like, I don't fucking want either of those things. But for whatever reason, um, he uses, <laughs> remember what I said last week, guys, or the whatever week it was, our first podcast, I like uh, character-driven family drama with a supernatural backdrop. Those are these shows. These are stories about families, really richly drawn characters that are going on their own journeys. And the backdrop is this horror supernatural piece. But really, it's telling a larger story, a more intimate story. And when I find that horror is done that way, yes, there are some jump scares and I get terrified sometimes. But overall, I'm so invested in this and this family and that outcome and their growth and their development that it's fascinating television. So I have one episode left of Midnight Mass, um, but it's it's been great. It's been a great ride. Definitely like a little bit of a slow burn, but I've had strong feelings. And so check it out. Check it out. Okay, y'all. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Play Black. Woo! Uh, our show can be heard wherever podcasts are available. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you heard, um, it's beyond helpful for us. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram at Play Black Podcast. Uh, Dion is here to pitch things you'd like to hear about. Gush about how much you love the show. Uh, just tell us uh, what show you'd want to put on when you invite Jay over to Crunchy Bowl and Chill. Because oh. home, home, we need some... Mm. Oh, oh, oh! Home, just needs to, you know, uh-huh. meet some company. Uh-huh. Meet some company. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. But we will uh, meet you back here soon. See y'all later. Peace.